everybody welcome to the bonus episode of cue the duck boats podcast with a very special guest mr connor green connor how you doing today buddy hey jake i'm doing pretty well uh it's a nice early new year's morning and what a great way to start off the new year talking some hockey huh yeah i can't think of anything better i'd rather do on a new year's new year's morning than start hockey right it's just kick off the year on the right foot Happy 2022. I know I didn't even start off with that. It's kind of bad. But uh, I just want to get some background on you before we get started and kind of what you're doing right now in the hockey world and the project that we're, we're on together pretty much with Inside the Rink. Yeah, so uh, been a, a lifelong Bruins fan. Um, actually started kind of watching hockey a couple years before they won the 2011 Stanley Cup. So, of course, you know, seeing the win after being a fan for just a couple years is uh, – you know, definitely what drove a lot of the fandom. Uh, and then over the last, I would say, two years, we had a, a mutual friend, Mr. Andrew Taverna, who uh, we both kind of co-hosted a podcast with him in the past and did some writing with him and some podcasting over at uh, the Black and Gold Network with Mark Allred and then ended up finding my way over here, likewise with you, and now joining the Inside the Rink team doing some more more breaking news across the the whole NHL instead of just uh, the Boston market and doing a lot of writing and hopefully another podcast soon maybe with you but we'll see where 2022 takes us yeah definitely I mean yeah I get my story's pretty much kind of very like I mean I've been a lifelong Bruins fan growing up in the Northeast obviously and my dad was a big Bruins fan so I could still I still remember the day the Bruins won won the cup and just sitting in my room crying like that I was so happy right and I was <laughs> in 2011 I was a freshman in high school so like I still remember like how happy I was and my mom actually took me to the parade we went to the parade together so that was a memory I'll always have with her which is pretty awesome and from there I mean it's just I guess that was like one of the major springboards was like you know when you're that that age of fandoms when I really became a diehard Bruins fan and from then on I I pretty much watched every single game from I'd say 2009 to now I've seen almost every Bruins game. Yeah. I watch them pretty religiously as much as my fiance hates that hates having to deal with it and having to structure a day around me watching the Bruins. But yeah, I mean, I found my way to black and gold with Mark um, started writing over there and that's where I met Andrew and we started the puck lies podcast, which eventually I just got really busy at that time. I was in the process of moving, starting building a house dealt with a bunch of, other things on top of that. And from there, we kind of, you joined in on the podcast and I stepped back for a bit. And then that's when um, I also found inside the rink once my life started to slow down a little bit more and I've had more time. And that's when I started cue the duck boats with some of my lifelong friends and have not done any writing yet for inside the rink, but I plan on doing it one day when I, when a topic hits me and I really feel like it's the right time to jump back on, but someday. Yeah. Yeah. The exactly. door's always open. Yeah, the door is always open. Yeah, I know that. Um, the guys at the top of Inside the Rink will let me know that. And yeah, I think the same thing. I'm hoping that in 2022, we can maybe work together on getting something off the ground, maybe an Inside the Rink hockey show or something like that. So we'll all yeah. just have to stay tuned for that. But I'm definitely excited for what this year holds for us. Absolutely. And for those of you who are listening, there will be an Inside the Rink podcast coming with the two of us and maybe one other person involved. But 
2022 has just begun. Be patient, people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. And, and I'll always still be doing Cue the Duck Boats. So it's, it'll be, you know, it's going to be exciting. I'm excited for this next year ahead of us as a team and as the hockey world. And I'm excited for the Bruins, too. Um, that's where I kind of want to jump into just obviously anyone who listens to this podcast has heard me talk about the Bruins for the last, you know, two and a half months. How do you feel about the Bruins seasons been to date? Like what is your, what's your pulse check on the Boston Bruins right now? They are struggling more than I think management and ownership expected. Um, they came into the season, obviously thinking that they're, top two lines probably were okay and they didn't really need to do any kind of additions or movements. Hence why Sweeney went and signed a lot of bottom six talent on one to two year contracts. They didn't address any of the defensive needs, which of course Cam Neely came out and said, you know, really looking for that elusive left D etc. He's been saying that for quite a while still hasn't happened. We've let more D walk out the door than we've brought in, which is kind of frustrating, to be honest. Imagine you have Tory Krug right now, not to interrupt you, but it's like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, even the shell of Zdeno Chara at this point could, you know, be somewhat of a help on a like a bottom pair, contrary to many people's belief, because he has regressed. So, I mean, good on Don Sweeney for noticing that, but I don't know. Letting a letting yeah. a sitting captain walk like that just rubs people the wrong way. But yeah, I think um to you know kind of backpack off that right. Like I, I actually was I was alright with seeing Char go. I, I was sad about it. Like I was always I didn't hate Char. I wasn't a Char hater by any means. I thought it was his time with the team. I just think the decisions they made around it were incorrect. You keep Krug and things look different on the decor. It just does. And you signed a you signed a big puck moving defenseman and things look different. You know to go with that. Mm-hmm. It just the team would look different, and not to say as much as the defense doesn't pass the eye test this year, they do pass the analytic test. Which I'm not a big analytics guy, but they do pass it for what that what, what that's worth. I think it's worth mentioning. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that they looked at this the idea of a Hall Smith Coil second line, and they thought that it was really going to work, and it just sadly hasn't. I think that's really the best way to put it. I don't think that I even fully disagreed. I thought looking at the Bruins roster to start this year with the third line of Felino, Halla, and DeBrusque, I thought, wow, that's a great third line. We have we're gonna have a gritty mix of guys coming in out of the fourth line. Our top line's the best line in the NHL and none of it's really been that. Our top line's been good. They have not been at their top elite level. Pasta's not scoring at an elite level. He's scoring at a great level, right? For any for most players, not for David Posternock. Correct. I mean? And he had the the struggles in the off season, of course, the, of course. the passing of his son. So without a doubt, and he has a free pass for me for that, a hundred percent. And I don't, I couldn't imagine dealing with that without a doubt. And I'm not a, I'm not a parent, so I don't even want to speak to that feeling, right? But yeah. still, like I, I couldn't imagine it. So that I give Pasta a pass for this whole year, and his spirit's still like he's still Pasta. You can still tell, and I think he will bring it around. He's not where I hold the Bruins' problems this year. I actually don't hold it with the top line at all. You just have to, you like, it's really, it comes down from there kind of Taylor Hall is not scoring at what we hoped he would. He's not even, he, there are times I look at Taylor Hall's game and it, it, he's not even playing like he was before when we first got him. So that I just don't, he doesn't seem to be skating as hard. And I know he's so fast that like, sometimes those guys look like it's effortless and that's why they, they seem like mm-hmm. they're not putting as much effort in, but I just look at that whole team. Like, how do you feel about Coyle at second line center? 
he's out of place. Yeah. Um, the only time that he's been a second line center was with the Minnesota wild. And that was a different team than the Bruins. Yep. Obviously. And he didn't really put up, you know, monumental second line scoring numbers with the wild, but I feel like the forward depth, especially the second line is feeling the David Krejci effect yeah. on top of a horrible schedule. So yep. I do attribute a lot of the Bruins struggles to the schedule. They haven't had a lot of games in rhythm to really get going. Every time it seems that the Bruins have a string of games in a row, something happens and there's games canceled or what have you. So could they put it together towards the end of the season? I think they're a move or two away. Yeah. You know, probably before the deadline, I would assume, because of how many games are left, that they could really catch fire and they could put, you know, 20 games in a row together of going, you know, 15, three and two, you yeah. know, something along those lines and jumping Rolling back into a playoff, you know, contention. Yeah. I don't disagree with you at all. I do think that the makeup of this Bruins team can win when it matters, but they're not quite there. We're a couple players away and we'll get into that more. I know that's, I mean, that's the biggest <laughs> reason Connor's on this podcast. Connor right now, he has some inside information that he's dug up and that he, people have came to him and given him. And he's kind of, he took the hockey world by storm this week. Actually, his name's quoted in articles all over the place. So I'm pretty honored to get the first interview with him, but we'll <laughs> jump into that before we do that. Before we do, I just want one more Bruins thing. The Bruins did have different practice lines yesterday. I'm hoping yes. we see that in the game today. I'm just going to read them off to you. Give me your instant reaction. First line, we're looking at Berge centering Marshawn and Smith. Second line, Halla centering Hall and Pasternak. Thank God for that. Third line, Coyle, Felino, DeBrusque. Fourth line, Nosek, Frederick, Lazar. Your top D is Grizzly and McAvoy. Then you have Riley, Carlo, Forbes, and Clifton. How do you feel about it? So to start off with the first line, because they dropped Pasternak down, I've always thought that Craig Smith would be, you know, the person to place with that top line just because of his his tenacity and puck possession and chasing after the puck. If you can have somebody like that who can put it into the hands of the Bergeron and the Marchand, things are going to roll your way. That's point blank period. Now, I think maybe Bruce over the uh, – the holiday break here spent a little time on Twitter because the fans of Boston have been crying to put Hall and Pasternak together on a line. The only thing I am concerned about is, is Eric Halla going to be enough? We saw some production from him in Vegas, but that was also when Vegas had a really outstanding year from just about everybody yeah. on their team. That's a hard year to really like, it's hard to look at that. It's kind of an anomaly that year. It was a bunch of guys who really banded together and worked hard. And Vegas has been good since, but it's been with a large group of different players, really. Yeah. Sorry if you hear my dogs barking. But overall, like you look at it and it's just with Hall, I think the thing with Hall is he can drive plays fast. All mm -hmm. he needs to do is be fast. The other two can, they can do everything else. Just be fast and get them the puck. And that's where I think Coyle's game didn't really match up with Hall. Hall's straight line speed goal score. Hall and uh, Coyle is a puck puck possession guy. You know what I mean? So it sometimes yeah. that works great together. Sometimes it doesn't. 
And Taylor Hall is a very good playmaker for a winger. He's always oh, been very good. very good at dishing the puck to other Great players hands. on his line. Yeah. Look at his MVP season. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thought it out. I agree so, 100%. I don't know. I, I think that it's going to work, but I don't think it's going to be because of Eric Halla. I think no. Eric Halla is going to put up points because the he's getting the, the space in the puck from two other elite playmakers and scorers. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think you're 100% right. That's the only way that that works for him. The third line is interesting. It's actually the third line that I would have liked them to start the year with, really. Ideally, you have a different second line center, and that's mm-hmm. your third line. I, I think it could work. I think it could work well, but, I mean, you know, we don't even really need to get into the fourth line. The fourth line is kind of just – it is what it is, and it's I there. actually like it. It's there. It's going to work. It's going to do its job, I think. It might not, but we'll find out. Um, before we transition out of here, decor, do you like what you see? I'm not sold on Riley. Neither. Last year, he gave me a lot of promise. I was really high on him when they signed him to the the three mil AAV contract. I was like, okay, solid. I mean, serviceable yeah. serviceable defenseman. He's going to play, you know, pretty much every game, but he's not he's not putting up those numbers. No. I'm not seeing it. I don't know what's wrong. He put up. 18 assists on a horrible Ottawa Senators team last year before he came over to the Bruins. And you saw flashes of him being, you know, really good, but it hasn't translated this season. Not sure what fell off or where it happened, but he's not playing in a different position in the lineup either. That's the concerning thing. Yeah. I I don't get it. I really thought that him and Carlo would make it work. I did. And it just, it hasn't happened. Yeah. I I don't know. It really just hasn't happened. That third defensive pairing is it's straight up scary, almost hot garbage, but straight up scary. not quite there yet. Like like you it's, said earlier, they pass the analytical game as a whole. They do, they do, which is the most but interesting part. That eye test, man. Sometimes they really scare you out yeah. there, and you're like, you have oh my like god, Forbes trying to catch up to the play, and Clifton's like behind the offensive goal. Yep. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, I don't know what that parent's going to look like. At least we get to see him play Buffalo. <laughs> get it figured out, right? <laughs> yeah, but a little like, later today. But let's let's get off all this, right, and let's circle in back to that third line. You look okay. at that third line, and it's hard to be happy with it because you know that DeBrusque is on his way out. Let's talk Jake DeBrusque and what you're hearing around the league. Let's get into this. All right. So uh, the other day on the 30th, two days ago, got a text message from somebody that I am – close with who's in the know on this situation and basically what they told me is the Bruins and the Oilers are in the midst of some pretty heated trade talk and the two names that are laser focused on each side is a Jake DeBrusque and a Kyler Yamamoto now I was told that this isn't going to be a one-for-one deal that there's going to be a sweetener and it's most likely going to be from the Bruins side of things. Um, a lot of people really didn't understand that or get that from a trade perspective. Jake DeBrus requested to be out of Boston. And it was before just this summer. He and his uh, management have been talking to the Bruins about moving on for over a year. It just was released this summer, it seems like, because the Bruins were dragging their feet and didn't look like they were going to do it. 
feel like the Bruins wanted to try and hang on to him and just let him walk this offseason. It's not really going to pan out that way now. Um, Jake DeBrusque, right now, his AAV is a 3.675. So it's not awful on the cap, especially if he does return to what he has shown in the past with the Bruins. Well, then it's a good contract. Then it is. Uh, it is. Now, one of the the issues with his contract is his qualifying offer this offseason will be around $4.1 million. Correct. It's, it's going to be a pretty decent upgrade. And for what he's producing right now, that would be an overpayment. Now, where the Oilers come in, the Bruins are probably going to add a draft pick or maybe even you know, a lesser prospect just on cap alone. So one of the big things that I keep seeing is oh, the Oilers don't have cap space. The Oilers don't have cap space. You're right. Right now they don't. But they have some other irons in the fire here. They've been working on trying to move Koskinen, uh, one of their goaltenders who really hasn't panned out. Thank you, Peter Shirelli for signing him to that awful contract. We know how that feels. King of the old um, boys club. <laughs> right. And it was, he signed him to that contract the day before he was fired or the day of he was. Fired. Yeah. It was like the day before. Um, and another contract that they're moving. And this actually surprised me among with some other people is they've actually looked at trying to move on from Tyson Berry, who they just signed to a little bit of a contract extension. Um, they have Duncan Keith there and they have Tyson Berry. I believe Barry's right around a 5 million AAV. Uh, Koskinen's about 4.5. So everybody knows the Oilers now after yesterday crying for goaltending help on top of it. Here's what I see from an Oilers perspective. I believe that the Oilers are going to move Koskinen before the deadline, whether it's to Buffalo or to Arizona with a sweetener they will dump his entire contract. So they're going to free up about 4.5 million on the cap. Now between Yamamoto and DeBrusque for what this trade rumor here is concerned, there's about a two and a half million dollar gap. So you have about 2 million left over right there for a goaltender. The other thing to factor in is the taxi squad is back. While there are rules to the taxi squad this year, the Oilers are going to be able to shelf some cap space just like every other team in the league by stashing people right onto the taxi squad. So this is not going to be a cap issue, in my opinion. I think this is just going to be a secondary trade that the Oilers go to make. I think their, their big swing is to offload some cap space and to find a goaltender who's serviceable. So, for example, here's one of the things that I pitched out on Twitter. This is speculation. This is not what I know or am told. Is I could see them moving, you know, Koskinen potentially to an Arizona or a Buffalo, throw in a sweetener, let them take the whole cap. Then they swing back around to Dallas, who is struggling, and who knows if they're going to be able to make the playoffs. If they fall out of playoff contention, I'd be willing to bet that Edmonton could flip them something for a Anton Hudobin and they eat salary to make it cheaper because Edmonton's looking to upgrade in a couple different spaces. So 
that would solve goaltending. And then that brings us back to the DeBrusque for Yamamoto. Kyler Yamamoto had a couple good seasons to start off with the Oilers. Yeah. They were okay. They're not great. He was a 22nd overall pick uh, in 2016, I believe. He is a little bit undersized. He's listed as a right wing and a center. He's never played center in the NHL. He did play uh, in juniors a little bit. And my biggest question for Yamamoto is, will he be what the Bruins want as far as center depth? Or will they just be okay with stashing him on the wing and swapping out you know, Jake for Yamamoto and not addressing the second line center? So I look at that, right? Not to interrupt, but I look at it. I don't I think it would be just they were swapping wing for wing and hoping that one underperforming first round pick can help both teams. Both of them are getting an underperforming first round pick and they can help. Obviously, like if you look at Yamamoto's stats, they're not as good as DeBrus. They're simply not. But it just it's the upside's still there, and he's younger and he costs less. So either Correct. way, you're going to lose DeBrusque. So you have to do something. It's like I, the people are like fire Sweeney the second he makes this move. It's like, what don't you guys realize? Like you're handcuffed. DeBrusque management handcuffed the Bruins. Correct. If they get a first-round pick caliber player back who, you know, in 2020, I mean 2019, 2020, he's had 26 points in 27 games. Mm-hmm. He's not. He has 11 points. He has seven goals this year. Like he's not a bad player at all. So like DeBrusque doesn't have seven goals. Nope. You know what I mean? So it's like we gotta we gotta be realistic here. And I think that's the biggest problem is like Bruins fans as a whole lose realism and they just they can't realize that we're not getting we're gonna trade DeBrusque and not get Ovechkin back. It's like the it's just the mindset of Bruins fans. Yeah. Uh it's an and I also think the feeling that I get out of this is that the Bruins aren't necessarily looking for immediate help. Yeah. out of this Jake DeBrusque trade. Where they are in the standings and how this season has gone, obviously they're not ready to you know, sell the farm to go for a Stanley Cup at this point. And when I first got this text message, I was like, maybe this is you know a little bit of a, a rebuild or a real retool that we're going to see here. I don't know. It's, it seems that way because they're going younger and cheaper. But also from the Bruins' perspective, if you can make this trade and you can get Yamamoto, you could argue and tell me that he's a downgrade from Jake DeBrusque. And I would say, okay, maybe. But he's still a high-end talent who is expected to have a pretty good NHL career. And you could potentially shave $2.5 million off your cap that you could then spend elsewhere which I think is the biggest draw of this trade for the Bruins. Yeah, I, I agree completely. So let's just look at him, right? In 31 games, he has seven goals. In 82 games, if he puts up 16, 17 goals, making his cap hit, that is a great success for your team because DeBrusque is not going to do that on this Bruins team. I'm sorry. and I've always been a guy who likes Jake DeBrusque. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. DeBrusque, I 100% think DeBrusque goes to Edmonton. He becomes a high twenty goal scorer again. It's going to happen. We're going to be mad about it. Because I would gonna say be... that he could probably hit forty. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't even disagree with that. I was going to say thirty, and then I stopped myself. But I, I really, I don't disagree at all. He's going to either be playing with Connor McDavid or Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Leon Drysaitel or Leon Drysaitel. 
he's going to have the puck fed to him by someone with a lot of talent. And guess what? Jake DeBrus still has a wrist shot that is in the top 10 percentile of the NHL. Yes. It's that simple. He doesn't have anyone feeding him the puck right now. He's never this year gotten the chance to go play with Bergeron. Other than that, there's no other center on the Bruins team that even touches the level of McDavid, Dreisaitl, or Nugent Hopkins. And you know what? Bergeron doesn't touch Dreisaitl or or uh, McDavid right now either for yeah. pure talent level. I mean, he, he's a different kind of talent, but still, that is. The, I think Edmonton is a great spot for Jake DeBrusque, and I would wish him nothing but success. I think mm-hmm. Edmonton should make this trade in a second. I really do, and I think the Bruins should too. It makes sense from either side. That's what makes it such a credible source and a credible idea. Like when you put it out there, it's like because it makes sense, and all the people are like, "Oh, blah blah." blah. It's it's like guys, what these people don't understand is when a player comes out and says they want to be traded, leverage falls through the floor. Luckily mm-hmm. for the Bruins, he's played pretty good and has shown he's still playing the Bruins system since that happened because he's not an asshole. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, Jake DeBrus seems by all means like a good kid, and that's why his value is still there. But we're lucky. It could be nothing at this point. The fact that he's even being talked about with other guys who are upside players still – we're lucky. We really are. Now, that is being driven by a lot of interest in Jake DeBrus. There's still about 10 to 12 teams who have actual interest in trying to acquire him. Now, everybody who says, you know, we shouldn't be trading him for this, like we need more back, fire Don Sweeney if he trades him for Yamamoto. Let me tell you something. This is exactly the kind of thing that happened to why we got Curtis Lazar and Taylor Hall for Anders Bjork in a second round pick. Correct. This is not a Bruins organization or a Don Sweeney who want to move on from Jake DeBrusque. Not at all. They, they are don't have a choice. forced to yeah. trade Jake DeBrusque or they're going to look like the proverbial asshole here. Exactly. For and not trying to facilitate a move. And I'm going to ask you this. Do you blame Bruce in any of this? This is all transpired. I, I want to say yes and no. So my, my true feeling is Jake had too much of a hard time mentally and emotionally with COVID with the COVID restrictions Agreed. and the quarantining and, you know, the bubble atmosphere that NHL players have had. Because let's face it, you know, he's a, a younger guy. Uh, to my knowledge, he's not married. He doesn't have any kids. No. So, you know, maybe he was just lonely and bored sitting in his, you know, condo or apartment playing, you know, NHL with some of his teammates. And it just really drug him down. I don't blame him for him, you know, no, for that no, at all. But it also doesn't help when you're in Boston who has the type of media and the fan base that's there. You know, they're not always the best when no. uh, a player is struggling and they definitely help push some people out of town, which, you know, surprising Tuka Rask wants to come back. But I, I <laughs> the, the beat down of the media and the fan base on top of his struggles, you know, mentally and emotionally because of COVID really is what drove him to not want to be here anymore. He just needs something new. He feels like his, his reputation and his aura in Boston is just too tainted at this point to keep it going. 
And I, I guess you're right. I mean, I would think the fans play a lot in that too. I think for a young kid, right? Like you're on social media, you're on all these platforms, you see what people are saying about you at a certain point, you have to be like, all right, screw this. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. that, and I think, I don't know if Bruce manages young players too well, but that's a talk for a different day, really. Yeah. You know, it, it, he's it, honest. He is. And I think that with, I think the younger generation, which, you know, I'm a part of, it's, it's very split in that, like that 23 year old, the 25 year old age group and kids who can take it and kids who can't. And it's that mm-hmm. simple. I mean, I see it every day with my own life, my own work, everything like, you, you know, I, I would prefer a coach who's honest, but some people don't, some people need that, you know, trigger coding not saying he does or doesn't cause we really don't know, but I think it's just overall, I, it's not something I'm happy about that we're going to lose Jake DeBrusque, but if we were able to get this return that you've discussed here with Kyler Yamamoto, I would be. As long as he can come and he plays hard and he wants to be a Bruin, that's fine with me. He's an American kid, you know, so we'll see. Yep. It you know, could go well. But let's let's pivot off this, right? We've, we've kind of hammered that one down, and everyone's yeah. read the articles and checked everything out. And, of course, you know, let's do a little shameless plug here for Inside the Rink. Guys, if you're not getting your NHL news from Inside the Rink, you're messing up. Get on the website. We have multiple articles posting every day, a lot of them edited by Mr. Connor Green himself here. Just go check these articles out. We're breaking news before ESPN. We're getting insiders now. It's that simple. Jump on there. Check out the website at insidetherink.com or follow us on Twitter at inside underscore the underscore rink and definitely check everything out. But let's talk about something new here, another thing that we talked about. What are you hearing about Mr. Tyler Bertuzzi up in Detroit? So Detroit is still working on trying to move Bertuzzi. Um, They were in talks about moving him last year, kind of around the Anthony Mantha timeline uh, before that, you know, kind of swap. And then things died down. Obviously he's a good player. The name Bertuzzi means something in Detroit. Um, But COVID got itself involved in this relationship, obviously uh, Bertuzzi is the only NHL player who is still not vaccinated. And that honestly, from what I'm being told is still the major reason why Detroit wants to move on from him. The feeling is more of a, he's a good player who has value, but when you essentially work for Steve Eiserman, it is a team first mentality. And even though, you know, this is going to be a hot button thing with the uh, vaccinations and whatnot. It's your choice. But when you play a team sport like the NHL, where it's a brotherhood in the locker room, like the NHL, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. No, of course so, not. he can't go to Canada. He can't go yeah. play games in Canada. And that a, is yeah. the major factor right now for why they want to move him and why he hasn't moved yet. Because there's plenty of teams that have checked in on him, including the Bruins, uh, the Rangers. I've even heard Colorado's been in there as well. And it keeps coming back to, well, he can't play in Canada. So the Red Wings aren't going to get value for what they have because it doesn't look like COVID's going anywhere, you know? No. So there, there's no end right in now. sight for him potentially not playing a quarter of your team's season because he's not vaccinated. Now, right now, I think is there's something interesting happening in the league where this might help kind of urge his trade on. 
all of the games that are being canceled in Canada, the quarantine changing in Canada as well as in the United States down to five days, it's getting to a point where I'm not sold that we continue to play all games in Canada towards the end of the season if this keeps going. It'll get to a point where the NHL will have to say, okay, we are either A, going to have to just eat all the money, which it's obvious that neither side wants to do at this point, or they might have to move some Canadian teams temporarily below the border and have them playing in an away barn as a home team. The NHL's not going to lose money anymore. They don't want to lose more money. Correct. So I, I think either Canada changes the rules for them, or we see a lot more games happening in the continental U.S. Yeah, and <laughs> I think it, it's that simple. I really that's do. that's a really tricky thing. Like it I is. Do it's not super tricky. See... It's super politicized. Everything. It's hard. Like it's. Yeah, and I don't see the Canadian government giving the NHL just a pass and letting no. them do whatever they want. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to the point where all of these Canadian teams who come to the U S are just coming down day of and going back day of so that there's no COVID testing happening in the United States. So if they do test positive, they're allowed to be in Canada in quarantining instead of having to leave players in the United States for two weeks and not being able to utilize them. So Overall, I think Bertuzzi has value. Oh yeah, but it's the COVID thing again. Like it does. I hate to always talk about COVID, but it's like the backbone of the NHL right now. I know. I keep trying. Like every week, I come on here and I tell myself I'm not going to talk about COVID the whole time. But it's just COVID is so intertwined with what professional sports is right now. It's you're not. You have to talk about it because he's number one. He's the only player who's not vaccinated in the NHL. That's yeah. just it's super tough. It's just a super tough situation. It's like, how do you, you know what I mean? Everyone else has gotten vaccinated, whether they wanted to or not. They did it for their team. But you look yep. at his stats, he has 12 goals, nine assists in 24 games. Any team would take that guy. So yeah. it's just so and, tough. And I would assume he's not a locker room problem, though, because if he was, it's like, you know what I mean? I think we would hear more about it, which we don't. Yeah. So in my opinion, he's not. I've yeah. never heard anything, no. you know, other than he's a pretty stand-up guy and he's a, a pretty beloved teammate up until this point. I mean, even if you look at his game as an overall, his stats this year were really pushed by a strong start to the season. Yeah. He's kind of tapered off since then. Well, his last five games, he has three goals and one assist. Okay. because I think to pick him back up. I think he started off the year with like six or seven goals within the first week or something like that. Um, and his play overall, he's a Bertuzzi. He plays a tough, rough game. He's not willing to do the dirty stuff or drop the gloves, you know? So from a a Bruins perspective for your fan base here, you know, they're looking for a little more grit in the lineup and they're always looking for goal scoring. That seems to be the Achilles heel of the Boston Bruins. It's 2011. Correct. Um, I feel like you may be able to have a trade here with a Jake DeBrusque if the Oilers trade doesn't come to fruition, which 
all signs are pointing to that's, you know, a pretty substantial trade talk with the Oilers in that there's already moving pieces and they've been working on this. But of course, that's going to be, you know, hinged upon are the Oilers going to be able to make the move that they need to make for cap space? Yeah. If they can't do that, which is always a possibility, this is one of the trades that I would hope the Bruins would go and look at. Yeah, I think like just the overall message here, like for Bruins fans, right? Is you look at it, the Bruins are trying their best, and the guys that we're talking about are not, they're not just extra pieces. They're guys who could be impact players, maybe not right away for all of them. But I really think even Yamamoto, I think he would be, right? Like I really think he would make an impact on this team. We're not that good. We're not that good that Kyler Yamamoto doesn't make an impact. Like people don't realize that. That's what that's what gets me. But I think that Dom's trying to do the best he can with what he has. So yeah, he's he's running out of trade chips. I mean, to be honest. Oh, I know. I know. So um, to kind of keep it Bruins focused here before we change any other subject, Don Sweeney's kind of handcuffed in my opinion you know he doesn't have any additional draft picks he's got one in each round for this year yeah and he's got a team that is borderline going to need to rebuild probably within the next two years so he's gonna have some tough decisions all of his trades need to be based around can i move this but get something back that could help me now and long term yeah, it has to be. You have to look long-term now because the, the core of this team is getting older and older. You can't just look short-term anymore. Every decision has to be that double-edged sword that can help you now and later. We, we can't sign any more Nick Felinos. We can't. It's not working. Like It doesn't yeah. work. We can't sign any more David Backuses, any more John Moores. We have to look towards the future or it's gonna be we're going to become the next Detroit Red Wings. We're going to yeah. become the next team that falls from graces. And I don't – I just – I really hope that doesn't happen, but I could see it happening. So, and there are, we're also banking on guys who we've drafted like Fabian Lizell and Johnny Beecher and Brett Harrison coming in and making an impact. So mm-hmm. we have to hope on all that because the group before them simply hasn't, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I'm not going to go talk 2015 draft and all that, but they haven't, they haven't made an impact. We, you know, we, we don't give enough look to Vak and who hasn't made an impact. Yeah, Jack Stadnika, a guy I want to see make an impact, and I think he can, and maybe hasn't gotten the correct opportunities, but he hasn't. Yeah, I think this current season that we're in is going to dictate where the Bruins go for the future. So this last offseason, pretty much everybody that was signed was on a two-year deal. So my thoughts are, if this season doesn't go well, it's not guaranteed that Patrice Bergeron even comes back at that point. You may look at the team and say, you know what, this just isn't going to go anywhere. I'm just going to, you know, end it on a good note and not play until I suck. And then that leaves Don Sweeney with a really interesting next year. He'll have about half the lineup who's on an expiring contract, which he could be, you know, dealer Don again, like he was in his early tenure with the Bruins and start moving, you know, the Hala, the Nosek, the Felino. And in my personal opinion, this is really not going to be popular with the Bruins fans, but I think you're going to have to trade Brad Marchand over the next two seasons if you want the Bruins to turn the organization around. I disagree. I disagree. I don't think they do it. I don't think they would do it. I don't think Brad would want to go. I think, I don't know. I think that he ushers in the next core. I do. 
I think he stays. But there I, isn't a next core, in my opinion. There and is. That's the problem. No, you. I mean, you have you. You a hundred percent can build around Pasternak and McAvoy. Pasta McAvoy Hall is signed to that, and he still has the age where he can do it. That is your next. That's your next three pieces right there, Carlo. I know it's hard to look at, but like, if he can step up a little more, you do have the basis of the next core. You just need these Jacks, the Nikas, these younger guys to come in and push. That's what it hinges on. I think if they can come in and prove that they can play here, then we don't have to move a guy like that. But if we're going to go a full rebuild, I think out of respect to Brad Marshawn, it would be up to him. I think, I think if we're going full rebuild, it is, he should have the choice. You know what I mean? But I think it'll be somewhat his choice, but let's be honest. If the Bruins let Chara walk and Krug walk, I think they're going to be okay with potentially moving on from a Brad Marchand. He's not Patrice Bergeron. Like, no. if they if they traded Bergeron or didn't offer him a contract to come back, the Bruins fan base would probably burn the TD Garden oh, to the ground, course. without a doubt. But is Brad Marchand, you know, sort of up there in that Bergeron echelon? Yes, yeah. but I also don't think because of the way that he's played and the persona that he has, it's not going to be as difficult for people to look past. Now would be for me. I wouldn't, I don't. Yeah. Interesting thing that you said about the Bruins core, you have one defenseman who's your stud defenseman, which you need. Yep. You have a top winger. Yep. You don't have a center. You don't have any center. I know. For me, in my opinion, to have a successful team that can compete, you need three things. You need a good goaltender, which I believe the Bruins have, even without yeah. Rask. Yeah, well, I did involved. forget Swayman in the next core. He definitely is a part of it. And I think Olmark will be better than what you're seeing. Yeah. I think when goalies change teams, it's a rough transition because you're completely changing how the team plays in front of you, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. So I think you have the defensive, you know, pair there that can get you with a McAvoy and a Carlo. That's a two defenseman setup that can get you somewhere. Yep. And then you've got a goalie tandem that will be more than serviceable. Yep. Now, I don't think that a winger is going to be a make or break part of your team. I think you can kind of swap them out willy nilly and get production. If you have a stud no shit, number one center, which yeah. the Bruins don't have any in their no. system, period. No. Even all these no. prospects that you're talking none about, of them are number, they're all, they're none all, of them are going to be a no. number one they're center. top nine, maybe. They're not, no. They're yeah. not number one. They're and borderline I, top six players. For me, that's where Brad Marchand comes in. Because let's yeah, be honest. He can, he can garner pretty much anything, I think, right now. So if you look at you know the Jack just, Eichel deal that happened. It, man. So Jack Eichel got the Sabres essentially four pieces handcuffed with the surgery, him not wanting to be there. They didn't want him. Brad Marchand is probably still going to be a 70 to 80 point a year player when this time frame that I think he gets traded comes along. I think it's pretty easy to assume that you could get a number one center prospect, like a really blue chip prospect and potentially a roster player and two first round picks for a Brad Marchand oh, I don't from a contending team. I just don't know if it happens. I, I, I can't agree with you on that happening just at my core. I can't, I don't think it's completely out of the realm 
but I just can't agree with it. I can't do it. But I don't. I see it, your point. Do I think it, it would pulls help at them? the heartstrings? Do I think it would help them? Yes. But does it pull at the heartstrings? And I won't accept it. Also, yes. But I don't know. But we're not there yet. We're really not. Like we're just we're not there yet. So it's tough yeah. to. I mean, we could go and make a trade and get a get a center. We could draft one. Like things can happen. It has to happen. If not, this team falls apart. There's no doubt about it. When Patrice Bergeron leaves, you have no heir apparent. None. Mm-hmm. And the Jacobs family does not want to be missing playoffs. And that's no, another reason I think no, that some no, hands no. will be forced here oh, of course. to make some unpopular moves to reset the team to compete. Yeah, it's, you know, I just hope we get two more years out of it before we have to rebuild. That's all I'm hoping. But who knows? We might not. We really might not. Knock on wood. I know. We really <laughs> might not. But who knows? But I think that pretty much that's a pretty good jump into the what we feel in the Bruins. Do you have anything else around the league that you're hearing or um I mean I guess kind of went over it pretty much. Yeah, I mean I went over some of it. Um one of the other things that um I'm really trying to look into to see if I can get any more information be, just solely for the fact that it intrigues me. Um yep. is Jacob Chikrin in Arizona. Me too. Um the Bruins have also been linked to Arizona because of some other players, mainly Phil Kessel. Um, but they're also being tossed into the Jacob Chikrin uh, kind of sweepstakes here. Um, I don't know that he will even be moved this season. I, this kind of feels like an off season move to me, um, but they're essentially one of like six to eight teams who have actual interest in it. They're looking for, a Jack oh. Eichel return. And well, never mind. It it doesn't make sense where they're at. You know, it's it's obviously gonna fall. You know, Jacob Chigarin is a good player, but he's not they always like try an elite level player. But I understand where Arizona's coming from. You know, they've they're trading off just about anything that's not screwed well, into, yeah. you know, the concrete. That's because, there. That's because Bill Armstrong it's a good hockey mind and he was dealt the worst hand possible from top to bottom. So like, it's yeah. just, you know what I mean? So it's just, I think he's trying to do whatever he can to not make, to make this be a success. Um, I actually, Bill coached me a little when I was younger and he actually, um, I went to like a lot of his hockey camps. I actually know him like personally, he's like a good dude. And it's just, it's like, it's just a tough situation I think for him and that mm-hmm. whole, like, but he is a good hockey mind. So like, I think he's trying to get whatever he can out of these players that are good so he can freaking rebuild this team before it's too late. And I don't know. Honestly, he he's done a phenomenal job. He, yeah, but like he got so he gets there, he loses his picks, right? And then it's like the the old regime drafts a player who should have never been drafted. All this stuff happens and he just gets this he was just handed the worst situation ever. And it's like what is he going to do? Like Yeah. That's what people don't realize. He was getting blamed for that pick. He wasn't allowed to be a part of that draft. Mm-hmm. He wasn't allowed to have any input or be a part of it because he was still on St. Louis's system there. Like he, you know what I mean. So he yeah. was still like so many things there. It's like he's done his best, but that's a that was a tough situation. That that organization's a dumpster fire. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully we can pick up some pieces when before they burn out. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the, the Jacob Chikrin thing here for me, uh, and this is just kind of my educated guess, is that the the Coyotes and the Bruins in their talks probably would, you know, the ask would be something along a, a Jake DeBrusque, a Jack Studnika, 
and then throw in maybe a first and a second round pick. Can't that, do that is that's, can't do that. That's tough. Can't do I that. mean, would you be adding, you know, a top flight defenseman who's signed to, I mean, a pretty good contract? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yes, do but no arguably, more first round picks. You arguably, your them. best center prospect yeah. would be going the other way on top of a first round pick, which could be honestly in the top 10, the way the Bruins season's gone so far. Uh, so yeah. that one's Who really knows? hard for me to stomach right now. And that's yeah. another reason why I think a lot of teams aren't, you know, jumping at it here to, to make a move for Chikrin. And like I said, I don't think that he's going to be traded during the season. If he does, it'll probably be an off season thing, but the coyotes don't want to move him. But if yeah. somebody is willing to give them, you know, four pieces for him, why not? I could see a team like Toronto shocking everyone and doing that, offloading a couple players, get it themselves in a better, better cap situation and grab a top flight defenseman. But who knows? I, so actually, if you want to take Toronto Maple Leafs, for example, I'm just going to ask kind of a rhetorical question here. Where is the Maple Leaf strength? on on their forward depth yeah so there's been a name that's been you know always tossed around into william nylander boom there you go so nylander makes a little more money than chikrin i think it's probably close to three to four million a year more um that could be more of a closer to a one-to-one swap yeah you know maybe so there's another name that's been kind of tossed around here uh, for being moved is Justin Hall on the back yep. end for Toronto. I could totally that. see a William Nylander and a Justin Hall for a Jacob Chikrin. Yep. And that would free up a lot of cap That'd space for Toronto. That that I could see working. Yeah, we're just really spitballing there. But, you know, and that, that was, was spitballing just because yeah. you brought that up. I yeah, hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, me either. I know. But let's, uh, we got to start to wrap things up here. I know that you have a busy day ahead of you. But one thing I want to kick on with the Bruins before you give me, I want one one goal for you for 2022. But so you can start thinking about it now. One last thing with the Bruins prospects, and we we're talking a lot about center depth, is I am a little higher on Johnny Beecher than most. I watched him play a good amount, and the talent is there. He's been dealt a tough hand with COVID multiple times, a tough hand with the shoulder. The talent is there. I could see him being a good third-line center in the NHL, like a good third-line center, one that scores you 15 goals, gets 20 assists, 30 assists, is a 40-point player. I really do see that. I know you're looking at me like you don't, and I think most people don't see it. But how much have you watched him play? That's Do you, do you watch Michigan hockey? I be haven't. Honest. I so haven't watched like, him play. I just will pick up like some highlight packages yeah, and, you know, he, see like five to 10 minutes of play through a game. Uh, he has really talent. been my extent. He has talent. He has, an, he has an edge to him and he's a bigger kid. I think that when he gets in the Bruins system, has the strength and conditioning coaches the Bruins have and has their coaching staff, he might work in Boston. I know, I, I know he hasn't had the great numbers that you hope out of, but he was like the last pick. He was the 30th pick in the first round. That's not a first-line center, guys. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. But yeah. so, I mean, I think he could be a really good third-line center and more of what we hope to see out of Trent, which Trent's had a couple of good games. He's put some good things together, like before, you know, COVID happened again. So 
I think that there is some young talent there on the bottom half of our team. And the guys mm-hmm. coming up are bottom level prospects. I think Lizell's not. I think Fabian Lizell's a super talented kid, but again, he's a winger. So, I mean, we can circle around that all day, but give me one yeah. goal for 2022 for you, whether it's with inside the rink with anything. Um, so I'm going to give it to you for the Bruins. I'm going to piggyback off of yours here. I've said this a lot. I even used to say this on the puck lines pod with Andrew. I hope that the Bruins stop thinking that they are smarter than every other team in the league. When it comes to the NHL draft, it seems like most of their picks over the last decade have been kind of reaches. (laughs) And it always looks like the Bruins think that they're outsmarting the rest of the league by taking these guys completely out of place and outside of Pasternak and McAvoy. Yeah. None of these picks have panned out. Other than I do fully think Mason Lowry is going to work. We'll see. There's there's a lot of a lot of time there, but Mason Lowry is super talented. I'm telling. I like Mason Lowry a lot. I watch a lot of Big Ten hockey, so like he's mm-hmm. he's good. He plays uh, Ohio State. Ohio State. Yep. Okay. Yep. He's very good. I'm time almost sure tell. he's leading their team in points for a defenseman. He, so if I'm not mistaken, he led the USHL in points. He played in Green Bay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I did follow him a little bit uh, on the Green Bay uh, train there when the Bruins had first drafted him. And it did seem like, you know, he was the stud defenseman of that team. But college and, you know, everything like that doesn't translate to Uh, the NHL. That's really the hard part. I mean, we say that, and I would have agreed with you about three years ago, but look at Fox, look at McAvoy, look at Kale McCarr. These guys are translating. It is working. Is he at that level? No, he's not. But I do think he's going to be a good player. So that's somewhere to look at. I think if I had to give one goal for 2020, it's that we get... um 2022. Keep, 2022, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> I don't want to relive the COVID again. No, no. Oh, trust me, the last <laughs> two years, I'm good with them. One goal for 2022, I guess we'll bring it hockey-related. Is that a... I think we get the Inside the Rink podcast off the ground and we get that moving. And we just keep everything going forward, but... You know what? This is a great episode of Cue the Duck Boats podcast. Happy to do a bonus episode with you. And I think we're going to need to get you on for a full episode with Kevin and Nick sometime. We can all talk and shoot the shit, maybe talk a little football. You're a Packers fan, right? So, uh, man, you're going to get me in trouble. Hopefully uh, the old lady's not around listening. I'm a Tom Brady fan. Since he left the Patriots, I've continued to root for him since he's on the Buccaneers. You can talk with the other guys on the podcast with that. But... uh, I am technically now a Packers fan since I moved out to the Midwest. That's the team that she roots for. So, of course, we have to watch the Packers when they're on. And I always tell her that Tom Brady's the real number 12, and that gets me in the doghouse a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, uh, <laughs> That's good. It is I mean, I'm a, Cow- I'm a Cowboys fan, so it's not going to get much past me. But definitely, man, thank you so much for coming on, and this was great. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was a pleasure, and uh, definitely we'll be back in the future. Awesome. And guys, you can all find Connor on Twitter at ConnorGreen777. Give him a follow and check out all his articles for Inside the Rink. 